Welcome to Backstage at Upstage, a presentation of Upstage Lung Cancer, which uses the performing arts to raise awareness and funding for lung cancer research. Here's your host, the founder and president of Upstage Lung Cancer, Hilde Grossman. My friend Jordan is here to introduce our guests. Upstage Lung Cancer produced two spring of 2021 concerts. Earlier in April, it was It's a Small World, Right? A virtual concert with performers from around the globe. On May 20th of 2021, Upstage Lung Cancer presented Breathe Free, a virtual benefit concert. There were some terrific musical performances, and the focus was on young people with lung cancer. Lung cancer can happen to anyone at any stage, yes, even to the young. So our young musicians shared their talents to highlight the importance of increasing awareness and research on how and why young people get lung cancer. And after the concert, a fireside chat with some of the participants. And you get a chance now to eavesdrop on that fireside chat here on the Backstage at Upstage podcast with your host, Hilde Grossman. I'm also a singer, and I hope uh, all of you were able to listen to our concert, The Small World, right just before this conversation tonight. The idea for that concert about what a small world we have came from the experience that we've all had with the, with the current pandemic and realizing that, you know, we're all in this together. We all experience um, the same kinds of threats and concerns, and we all have to find a way to make the best of life. So um, bringing singers and dancers from all over the world was, to me, a great joy. So. Um, these virtual tools we have now, which is wonderful, allows us to connect the world's performers as well as those in our own backyard. So tonight, I am so honored to have uh, five other panelists with us tonight. We have Bonnie Adario. She's a lung cancer survivor and also founder of the GoTo Foundation for Lung Cancer. Jacob Sands, a thoracic oncologist and researcher at Dana-Farber Institute, and uh, Jordan Rich, celebrated WBZ radio broadcaster uh, and co-host of Upstage Lung Cancer's podcast, Backstage at Upstage. And then we also have John Berman, a magnificent musician who comes to us right now from Sao Paulo, Brazil. And then finally, we have the wonderful Nian Sun, professor and researcher at Northeastern University. I'm a Northwestern grad, so I, I often wanna say Northwestern, but it's really Northeastern. So um, welcome everyone uh, tonight. Um, I'd like to start with Bonnie and just um, ask you to say a few words about your own journey uh, with lung cancer and how you went about founding uh, the organization that you have, which is extraordinary. Sure, I'm happy to do that. I was diagnosed 17 years ago, um, shocked like most people are when they were first diagnosed with lung cancer. I had stage 3B. Uh, my tumor was on my heart and my aorta. So it was uh, a tough job for quite a few people, but they pulled me through it. But while I was um, going through all of the, the um, chemotherapy and surgery and, and all the treatments, I had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to look on the internet, and I was shocked at the lack of empathy for uh, lung cancer patients and lung cancer itself. And then I was even more shocked 
when I learned that there was a stigma that everybody thought you had to smoke to get lung cancer and you brought it on yourself and that you really weren't worth saving. And uh, I made a promise to myself right there in the chemo chair that if I got out of the knothole and um, you know could stand on my own two feet again, I would do something to change that. And um, you know, we still have a ways to go. We still have a ways to go and a lot of work to do, but um, it's starting to happen. Doors are opening. And this is one door, you know, things like this are really helpful, really helpful. But thank you, Hildy. Well, thank you, Bonnie. And also I'm a lung cancer survivor. Um, I think it's 13 years, but I'm, <laughs> I'd have to sit and count on my fingers, something like that. And um, it was a very similar experience. Mine was found by a complete accident, which is a long circuitous story um, that started with slipping on a pair of shoes and winding up with an MRI of my back for no good reason that, that found my lung cancer. So um, it's one of those diseases that if you have lungs, you can get lung cancer. And so one of the sayings that we have at Upstage Lung Cancer is that um, survival should not be by accident. And so we're very much um, in pursuit of early detection of lung cancer, where we can find it early and treat it, consider this to be uh, like a, you know, a chronic disease. And so uh, Jacob Sands, uh, oncologist, um, is also very interested in early detection. Can you say a little more? What, how did you get interested in treating lung cancer and what, how did that then have you gravitate to the, to the whole position of let's find it early? Well, I, I did my, uh, my training out in California, actually, not too far from Bonnie, up, up the mountain a bit in Sacramento. Honestly, I just wanted to see, I felt like I hadn't seen enough people with lung cancer. And so I started just showing up to the clinic of one of my attendings who was really exceptional, uh, Dr. David Gandera, who, of course, Bonnie knows very well. And uh, I, I went into his clinic and said, hey, can I just see your new patients? And, um, and on top of everything else, that was kind of an unusual thing. And so um, so he really became quite a mentor to me. And I, I started doing more within lung cancer. And, and the more people I came to know, uh, the more I, I really felt kind of protective of all the people with lung cancer and, and wanting to treat them and this stigma that is um, really unfair and unjust. And um, so it, it, uh, it it's... The, the research going on was very exciting to me. I mean, there are a lot of aspects to this, but uh, I really felt drawn to the individuals and protective of the individuals and, uh, and also very excited about a lot of the research going on. And there's just so much that was going on at the time and it's still going on within lung cancer uh, as far as research. And so it's, it's from a research and academic standpoint, it's been exciting. And, and it is very exciting to see the advances happen in real life uh, as well. So. The, the more I, uh, I, I was involved in treating people with lung cancer, the more and more drawn I became. And then my career after fellowship uh, started at Leahy, uh, Leahy Hospital Medical Center that had recently started a lung screening program. It was a free program at the time. This was before any approvals for lung screening, but recently, this was very soon after the initial NLST publication. Uh, they'd put together a program. And so when I started there, I uh, was recruited to the steering committee to help run that program. It was when they were still in 
the uh, pilot stage and, um, and really got quite an education around lung screening as I helped to build out that program as well. And, you know, as a medical oncologist, I meet a lot of people with stage four lung cancer. And so I spend a lot of my time um, treating people to really improve and prolong their quality of life, which is, of course, very meaningful. Um, but to be able to catch it when it is curable is, is there, there's, a, there's obviously a big difference between treating somebody with a goal of cure and treating somebody to control the disease. And so this has really made me very passionate about advancing that and making sure that if people are going to get lung cancer, let's catch it when it can be cured. And, and so I've really put a lot of, of time and effort into advancing lung screening and making sure that we're catching as many of these as early as possible. Well, it's just extraordinarily important. And, and I think um, one of the, I know over the time that I was diagnosed at that point, there was hardly anything going on. There weren't really any patient advocate, patient advocate organizations to get involved with um, that I that I was able to you know contact. And uh, over these years, um, there are many organizations now. And as you said, the the research has just mushroomed and the number of drugs, um, I wish I could be accurate. I could make up some number, but probably wouldn't help. But like, like, oh, well, many, many drugs over the last 10 years um, for treating uh, lung cancer. So that's so hopeful. Um, and that, you know, in the early screening um, for people who are more at high risk, now Medicare uh, will cover that which there was a big fight, you know, and all of us who were uh, in patient advocate organizations signed on a letter and there was a lot of push, but now they will cover it. And we're hoping that they will cover that kind of screening at an earlier time. So it's just super important to um, find this early. Um, so um, one of the projects that we have funded was um, the research of Nian Sun. And will you say a little bit about your project, which um, Jacob put us in touch with each other, and I continue to be dazzled and excited by it. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, thank you, Heidi. Uh, indeed, we started the uh, investigation on gas sensors like five or six years ago. Started uh, with the um, program from the CBD um, uh, chemical um, biological uh, uh, defense. Uh, program from the DOD. So we're detecting uh, like uh, weapons of mass destruction, like uh, anthrax, for example, from the air. So this is how we get it started. Then we start looking to um, designing gas sensors for detecting different biomarkers for different diseases. So we started with uh, diseases for like Alzheimer's disease, um, then lung cancer. Um, and then we also looked into diabetes, uh, drug abuse, etc. So, so um, in 2019, I got in touch with Jacob and we started to uh, work together and we are really grateful that Upstage Lung Cancer Foundation funded our efforts um, bringing the sensors for lung cancer screening uh, into, uh, we're hopeful that we'll bring that into clinical trial very soon. So we, so eventually we hope that uh, we can realize the, realize the dream, like here you mentioned, we want to bring the, lung, the sensors to a wearable device like a watch. 
so that I can breathe into the device. This is my idea. <laughs> and we can use that device as an early screening tool for lung cancer. So we are working toward that direction. So what I understand and understood when we talked about this was um, someone could um, breathe on, on, on something that had sensors to different chemicals and those chemicals would be reflected. So if you had lung cancer, those would be a, a particular pattern of chemicals um, that would show up on that sensor. So you breathe on it and it tells you you do or don't have lung cancer, which I thought brilliant, brilliant. And so when you get in touch with, if anybody's listening from, from, um, from Fitbit or <laughs> from uh, Apple Watch, listen, get in touch with this man, because I thought how genius it would be to just breathe on your watch, you know, periodically, and you could just uh, keep a, a tabs on what was going on in terms of lung cancer or not, if you were um, either uh, a survivor and you just wanted to regularly check, or if you were somehow um, likely to develop lung cancer for some reason, so brilliant, brilliant, and we love we love supporting that research, and I'm cheering you on <laughs> for those possibilities. Um, and so I so I'd like to turn to Jordan Rich, who um, is just an amazing broadcaster. Um, he's been heard throughout. Um, he's the New England broadcaster, but your broadcasts have gone national. I right, they've gone pretty far. They do, actually, because of the station I work at and have been for 25 years. It's a clear channel, 50,000-watt station, WBZ. For those of you who are familiar with the pre-digital age, this was a signal, an actual radio signal that traveled, not quite to Bonnie's neck of the woods, but close. <laughs> so. but no, but, but one of the wonderful, there there's so many wonderful things about you, I, I just could spend the whole rest of the time saying. But one of the great things, Jordan has been so supportive of upstage lung cancer and he's he's the MC for um, all of our spring events and anything I've ever asked of him, he always says, sure, sure. There's no hesitancy or like, oh my God, why is she calling me again? But um, <laughs> the thing that's been also wonderful is that you've used the airways to, um, to talk about lung cancer and um, in some cases relate some personal experiences. I don't know if you'd be willing to share some of. Sure, I, I mean, who isn't touched by cancer among us in the panel and in everyone listening and watching? I mean, that's, that's an understatement. But in my particular case, uh, my mother who's now 91 had uh, lung cancer 20 years ago and was cured at the time, never smoked a day in her life and my first late wife, my late wife, uh, passed away from what ultimately was mesothelioma caused by previous treatment for a cancer 20 years earlier. And it sounds awful to think that your treatment would ultimately take you, but uh, philosophically, she always said, I had 20 years, you know, they saved me for 20 more years. Um, so I have, I have, like anybody else, I have a stake in it. But here's the thing. First of all, you can't say no to Hildy. That's the first thing. You don't turn you. Hildy down. Everyone's nodding, right? John in Brazil. You can be in another country. Hildy says, do something for me. You do it. I mean, because can't say no. Can't say no. Can't say no. But really, um, 
we're living in a crazy time when media is ugly and, and all that. And I'm a tiny little blip in the media scale. But if we can do something to, in case of tonight, entertain, but at the same time inform, educate, and maybe help people with a little good, positive information, that's my joy in life. I'm not, I've done everything you can possibly do in my business. I want to see if we can affect change with it, with education. Hildy's podcast, which I'm so thrilled for her and all of us, is another step in that direction. And, you know, the idea of working with you on this podcast and Bonnie's husband's already been on, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to get the docs on soon. And maybe we'll even let John in for not just for musical, just for, just for a dad of a musical guest. But the point is, uh, we've got a mission to not just talk about lung cancer, but to talk about so many things that need to get airtime. So I am uh, a messenger from the other side of the media that's not in concern with 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 the tweeter the twitting at uh, twitting. Uh, tweets that attack and all that. That's not my game. My game is to basically help spread the good word. And again, Hildy's a very difficult person to say, no, I can't do that. I've never said no to you. Have I, Hildy? Never. <laughs> never. I don't say yeah. no to my wife either. So that's, uh, you know. There we go. <laughs> I'm basically subservient to all women. Bonnie, what do you want? Anything you want, I, Bonnie? I want to ask you a question. I want, I want to make a comment about what you're, what you do, Jordan. Um, recently, because of the book, um, I've been doing a lot of radio shows, and I am so impressed with what it takes to ask the right questions and, you know, to really be a good uh, radio show broadcaster. It's the questions that are the key. I was on one this morning that was only five minutes long. It was Marcus in the Morning in San Francisco. And... He he got out of me in five minutes, you know, like the entire story. So bravo to, you know, radio and, you know, what it can do to oh. reach people with important messages. I'll thank you for all of my colleagues. And I'll say this, without our lungs, we don't have any any ability to do what we do. I mean, I have a, a, a sign-off line and a lot of old radio shows, you know, uh, good night and good luck, Edward Amaro. Everyone, you know, I'm an old traditional guy. So my sign off for the last 25 years has always been, and it's the same in my podcast, be well so you can do good. Very simple, be well. And and it's the old put your mask on and then you can save people. So I treasure my health, my uh, very vibrant health, and I take good care of myself. But I realize, and, and I'm, I'm going to assume John's going to say the same thing. Without that ability, that beautiful the system in, inside John and inside me to either speak or play an instrument, we're we're done. We're toast. So I don't take anything for granted. And I do think you're right, Bonnie. Radio and podcasting is is the uh, the future. And people would say, future? What are you talking about? It's never gone away. And it's Hildy. Uh, I'm going to scold you because Hildy said I'm not. A, she said to us, she's not a good storyteller. She's a wonderful storyteller as evidenced by the first six or eight podcasts, and you're only going to get better. So people want to share stories and learn from these stories. So I am thrilled to play a teeny, teeny part, which is really all it is, but to be the, the spokes voice to try to push this idea out. Very yeah. happy. I also, I also like what you were saying, Jordan, is 
So much of our time, if you look at the media, if you listen to television or whatever, the news is always bad news. It's never good news. We don't hear good stories about good deeds. I mean, Bonnie's organization is gigantic. She has started something that's worldwide. It's, it's extraordinary. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. Upstage Lung Cancer exclusively uses music and the performing arts to get the word out about lung cancer. Through concerts and activities, Upstage helps fund much needed research. As the saying goes, find it, treat it, beat it. Please subscribe to this podcast series and tell your friends. Oh, and if you'd like to join our efforts, consider a donation of any amount at upstagelungcancer.org. And now, back to the podcast. Part of my my whole um, essence of self is around making music. Part of what gives me great pleasure is um, providing music and getting the feedback from the audience that they're experiencing joy. That's what I love. Um, and John Berman and I have performed together many times. I've known him for a long time. He's an extraordinary uh, musician and he's a joyful person. So can you say something about your own feelings about music and making music and, and now that you're living in Brazil, um, you know, what, maybe what difference you experience in Brazil versus the U.S.? Well, you know, I, I came down to Brazil because I, I love Brazilian music and people who are musicians who know about music know that Brazil has a very, um, a very vibrant, rich musical culture, so much so that jazz musicians such as myself uh, grew up playing a lot of, in the Bossa Nova times, as you know, all those jazz musicians, uh, Cannonball, Adderley, almost all of them uh, would at one point or another record Brazilian music. So Brazilian music is very uh, in the minds, I think, of a lot of jazz musicians. So I first came down to Brazil interested in um, Brazilian music and then, you know, I met my wife, so I got interested in something else, too. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so that combination uh, is, you know, that, that will do any, any musician in. But musically speaking, Brazil is, a, is, I mean, people love music, and there's a lot of live music. Unfortunately, at this time, it's been, we've really been, you know what, uh, screwed, I guess we can say. That's okay to use the word, uh, because... You know, I used to play, we all are musicians. We used to be playing in bars and, and clubs and, and you know, it's, it's there all the time. And right now we're all like, um, you know, we're at home teaching online and stuff like that. Um, but Brazil is, I mean, Brazil is just a, uh, it's a fantastic musical culture and people really, um, and you know, one thing, and this is probably true about other cultures in Brazil, if you generally if you say like if you get in a taxi or something you say you're a musician people will say wow that's so cool you know like you're you're the reaction you know is a little bit different to be honest with you obviously they're americans who love music but it's kind of interesting when you go to these countries all of a sudden being a musician they don't kind of look at you like like what you know what's that you know <laughs> i mean they they really appreciate my experience at least has been when you say that you're a musician, their their eyes kind of light up. They, that's a kind of a cool thing. 
So it's nice because when you're going through customs, for example, in Brazil, and you say a musician, they don't look at you like the customs people do in, in, my, in New York. That's true. <laughs> no more details needed, right? <laughs> One of, uh, one of the dear friends that uh, John and I um, have had the pleasure to know um, was Seth Rubin, um, who was an amazing sax player, gentle soul, sweet human being. And um, unfortunately, he lost his life to lung cancer. But uh, he and I and my writing partner, John Lamb, were working together on a new, um, maybe a Broadway show one day, but it's a musical theater piece called Ziegfeld. Um, some people who are young in this audience won't know who Ziegfeld was. You should look him up because he was an extraordinary person. Um, and uh, so uh, we wrote the play, John Lamb and I wrote the play and then Seth joined us uh, to write the music. He and I worked on the on the music and John and I wrote the lyrics. And um, Seth did the very last song. He finished the last piece. He put the dot uh, at the end of the sentence uh, when he lost his life. And he his great wish was that we would uh, be able to do, um, do Ziegfeld. So that's one of the things I look forward to when this pandemic allows and things get better um, that we'll do Ziegfeld, at least initially we'll do it for upstage lung cancer because I'd like so much to share this, I, I think in all humility. <laughs> it's a great show and the music is wonderful thanks to, um, to Seth. You know, Hildy, I was going to say something which is actually kind of it's blowing my mind, which because, you know, I, to be honest with you, I didn't even know what this thing was all about. With I didn't even know it was about I had lung cancer or anything. So this is like all kind of new to me. But this is amazing because Seth Rubin, who was a very close friend of mine, who died, what was it, two years ago, he never, this is like strange, he never talked about the fact that he was sick with lung cancer, I didn't even know until right now that that I knew he died of some cancer, but I, you know, I, I, I didn't even know it was lung cancer. And this is like kind of blowing my mind because he never spoke about it, never. Now it could be a little bit, you know, Seth, his personality, but I'm thinking you guys who understand this, maybe because of what it was just hitting me that maybe the fact that he was he had this lung cancer, he didn't want to share that. Because when Bonnie was talking about that thing of that kind of hit me that, well, maybe, maybe um, this thing about cancer, it's not something that he would, because I was thinking, I mean, Seth, he's my buddy. I, I stayed with him for a week last time I was in Boston, but he would never share anything about his condition. Do you think that has to do with the fact that it was lung cancer as opposed to something else? I don't know. Absolutely. Can I tell a little story, Hildy? Please. A second. Um, I met this beautiful woman years ago, you know, we were really early on when we first started the foundation and she was just lovely and she had lung cancer. And um, she told me one day, she said, you know, Bonnie, I don't tell people that I have lung cancer. I tell them I have breast cancer. And I, I was just really taken aback. And I said, oh my God, why? I mean, that's so sad that you feel like you have to do that. 
And she said, well, you know, I don't want to people to ask me if I smoked. I don't want people to, you know, ask me a lot of questions. Um, and uh, her final words were, I'm angry. I'm really, really angry because I'm a never smoker. I've never smoked in my life. My parents didn't smoke. I wasn't around secondhand smoke. I, you know, and she said, and I'm angry. So I, I tell people that I have breast cancer, so I don't have to answer all those questions, John, to your point. But then she said, but the world needs to know that smoking is killing us for a much different reason. Smoking is killing lung cancer patients because they can't, they don't feel free to talk about their disease. And uh, I was just, that's when I really learned, you know, what the attitude was uh, of, you know, the general public about people that have lung cancer. Multiple patients of mine say the exact same thing. Um, you know, some of them smoke too, but, but you know, the crazy thing is when someone has a heart attack, no one goes, well, did you smoke? Um, so it is important, you know, awareness about smoking and smoking cessation and helping people. But, but the stigma that goes, uh, I, I just, I feel like in this country, there's been such an effort at smoking cessation that unfortunately what happened is, is within the country, we demonized the whole process in a way that individuals, that, that real people got wrapped up in that. And it's horribly unfair and it's terrible. And um, if somebody needs help, we should be helping them. If somebody needs treatment, we should be treating them. Exactly. And, uh, and this is, this lung cancer has become uh, a group that it's affected individuals in a really tangible, really real way. And it's isolated people from their communities in some ways. And, and this is uh, something that I, I trust that people are well-meaning. They don't mean to. This is a, there's a lack of awareness. And, and I think what's happening is people find out that something bad happened to somebody else, and they're looking for a reason to believe that that couldn't happen to them. Because that's a scary thing. But the truth is it can happen to them. It can happen to anybody. And that's why, um, oh, well, that's not the one, but that's part of why we need to do something about this. Right. Exactly. And, and any effort at feeling like I, I will isolate myself, that this couldn't happen is just not true. And so what's happening is this stigma leads to individuals with lung cancer feeling isolated and ashamed, even when they've never smoked, but whether they did or didn't doesn't matter, we should be treating them. Um, and, and this kind of false sense of security that people seek isn't real either. Right. I wrote a little op-ed not too long ago and the title of it was, Where Are the Casseroles? I, I don't think I have to say anything else, do I? <laughs> I love that, Bonnie, I love that so right? much. Yeah. That's perfect, it's perfect. Right. right. It says a lot. It does. It definitely everybody, does. Everybody that's sick, regardless of why they're sick or, or you know, uh, down and out, deserves a casserole, right? I, I was just going to add. Uh, Isn't that who we are? The, the, the elephant in the corner of every room is the pandemic. And uh, so many people have rightfully so been focusing on that. But the, the cancer patients who have had to weather 
this past year, and uh, I have some in my family, everyone does, it's just been incredibly difficult. So I'll just ask a, a general question or general comment, uh, Alyssa, comment, and that is, you know, what, what do the healthy among us have to do, should we do, step up to do, to support those patients? Because for a lot of them, they didn't even have an opportunity to go in person and see their oncologist for a while. I, I, I don't know if there is an answer, except to say, at least we should be empathetic. Um, Bonnie, do you have any thoughts? I, I, I do. You know, empathy is, you know, uh, been shortcoming. Uh, and, and, and especially I'm always, you know, going to be talking about lung cancer patients. But COVID is a respiratory disease and so is lung cancer. I only have one, one um, uh, side, I, I half a lung. And uh, my sexy voice comes from one half a vocal cord, thanks to lung cancer. But um, uh, as far as I'm concerned, lung cancer patients should have been at the top of the list. I can't even imagine <clears throat> being hooked up to a respirator. I can't, I, you know, I, I just can't. So uh, empathy, empathy, and don't be afraid, especially for personalities. And I would, I would throw this out to Hollywood you have the ability to take this cancer on and change it. You have the ability to speak. You have the ability to let people know you've had lung cancer. We always say that when you read the obituaries, and I, I really I don't do that yet, but I guess that day's coming. Um, <laughs> you read the obituaries and they say, passive cancer, and they don't say what kind, it's lung. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. As thousands of audience members know, upstage lung cancer events, the concerts, are fun, meaningful, inspiring, and memorable. And you should know that we invest in cutting-edge diagnostic research to find lung cancer early and greatly improve on the five-year survival rate. We also bring voice to the fact that young people get lung cancer. They really do. Unfortunately, doctors don't know how or why. Proceeds from our concerts support research to help find answers to these questions. Hilde Grossman and her team aim to entertain and inform because the show must go on. Find out how you can help at upstagelungcancer.org. Now back to the podcast, here's Hilde. We have three people behind the scenes that I'd like to acknowledge, Ben Glickman and Anna Muse and Sumathi Ramohan. Um, thank you, all three of you. So I'll just turn to our guy, Ben, who's monitoring the question and answer box and give our audience a chance to ask a question. Ben, um, are there any questions that you can uh, share with us? Good idea. First question is towards Dr. Sun. How has Upstage Lung Cancer's funding of your research helped to make your making more advances in methods for the early detection of lung cancer? Right. Um, yes. So, so before we um, get funded by uh, the Upstage Lung Cancer Foundation, we have been putting efforts on other diseases like uh, Alzheimer's disease, um, drug abuse, as well as like diabetes, etc. Um, so, uh, funding is from those areas, as well as like uh, um, DoD on weapons of mass destruction, for example. So, with this funding, um, the money supports one of our students to develop uh, sensors for the lung cancer uh, biomarkers. And then we start to put things together into a handheld system that's mobile that can be used for um, 
uh, clinical trial. Unfortunately, because uh, we were planning to do it and then uh, COVID kicked in and we have to we had to stop. So so we really look forward to uh, a time when COVID uh, mitigates and when we restart uh, the clinical efforts on our um, lung cancer sensors. And I'm rooting for you to restart now because lung cancer is not going to wait for COVID to disappear. That's that's what so it looks like the they case. Can, they can both get your attention. Get another student. We'll help you. Come on. <laughs> right. We will definitely do that. I'm rooting we'll, for you. We'll definitely do that. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so what's another question, Ben? The next question that was asked is a more general question. Some of it was already touched upon, but perhaps we could just go back and think more generally. What do you all see as the future of early detection lung cancer treatment and research? Blood, find it in the blood, find it early before you see it on a CT scan. Uh, well, let me say, upstage lung cancer's single focus, um, all the money that we get, and you might want to donate a little listening to us tonight, because that money goes toward early detection. Bonnie mentioned blood, that's only one possibility. So we funded um, the research of Dr. Sun, who was looking to use the breath on sensors um, as one vehicle. Um, we have funded for several years now a project um, at, Mass at um, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, um, Sangeeta Bhatia's lab, <clears throat> sorry, and Tyler Jack's lab. And they're doing extraordinary things. Um, we funded a project where they're looking at, um, this is very technical, but nanoparticles in the urine. These are particles that are so small they, that they're way before you would pick up on a CT scan, which is what we now rely on. Um, and now they're using some of their, again, it's complicated research. I would tell you to come, go to Upstage Lung Cancer's website and look at the research we fund and you can see more of the details to help explain how using organoids and some of these nanotechnologies and doing them together can help with early detection. Um, so there, there are all these other opportunities for early detection and that's to me, that's the name of the game. Get it early, do it in a way that's not invasive so it's not like it, you require surgery, um, where it's inexpensive and easily accessible. That's our goal, and that's where we take our funding to, to uh, support the most extraordinary research in those, in those areas. May I ask a question of either doctor or both? Uh, just on that same score, what, what can we as individuals who know our bodies, what should we be thinking about or looking about? If, it, if, you're, if your medical exam isn't up for another six months, but you're not quite feeling right, isn't that the time to check it out? What, what, are, what should we be looking for, Dr. Smith? Yeah, so, so um, you know, lung cancer often doesn't cause any symptoms. So uh, I have people who come in with disease in various, that it's spread in their body, and they go, but I feel completely fine, are you sure? Um, now, if somebody gets a cough, if somebody has a diagnosis of pneumonia, um, after a pneumonia, you should be getting some kind of imaging, even if it's 
depending on what the doctor says, it could be a chest x-ray, uh, depending on the pneumonia, but a month later to make sure that that really cleared. There are plenty of people that get pneumonia, and then it turns out that there is a cancer there also. And so if the pneumonia is not clearing, if there's something that's persisting, if a cough is ongoing, these need to be checked out. But you know, lung screening is for people who don't have any symptoms at all. And the current standard of care approved by insurance is a CAT scan. It's a minimal amount of radiation. It's less than a 50th of the amount of radiation that uh, people can be exposed to at work. So the radiologist, radiation oncologist at work, they go around with a little box that records how much radiation they're exposed to. They can get 50 times that radiation in a year and it's completely okay, it's considered fine. So it's a very limited amount of radiation on these scans. Um, anybody between the ages, well, right now, 55 to 80, although that will soon be age 50 to 80. That was a recent recommendation from the U.S. Uh, Preventative Services Task Force. Um, that's not yet really implemented as far as insurance coverage and stuff, but will be. Um, so age 55 to 80 currently, who has a smoking history, whose last cigarette was within the last 15 years. Um, now, the amount of smoking history, talk with your doctor, but um, it, it, because it's a calculation. And, but last cigarette within the last 15 years. When lung cancer is detected in these individuals who have gotten a lung screening scan, 70% of the time, it's early stage. And in many cases, just cutting it out and you're done. You don't even need chemotherapy. But without those scans, if you're waiting until you have symptoms or something, then that's 70% of the time at stage four, it's already spread. And then we're not talking about cure in those cases. So it is really important. Now, there are some exciting technologies and Hildy and Bonnie have both talked about some really cool things happening. But right now the CAT scans catch almost everything. They're actually really accurate. They're really good screening studies. Now there might be a nodule on there that's not cancer. And that, you know, that sometimes just gets followed up with another scan. People can have, you know, think of it like a freckle in the lung. Um, and that's fine. And, and then you monitor it, just make sure. But this technology that currently exists is exceptional. It has the potential to prevent 50,000 lung cancer deaths a year. We're talking about a huge number. I mean, this is a thousand people a week. Their deaths could be prevented from doing these screening in the people who currently qualify. As I mentioned, it's gonna be a, a, a decrease in the amount of smoking history and starting at age 50, which is actually gonna double the number of people that qualify for lung screening. So that will push that number even higher. So right now, the biggest thing is making sure people are aware of, of what is approved already and getting those scans. And so I think the best thing you can do now is really spread that word, which obviously this is part of that effort, um, but for people to be aware of that and make sure people are asking their doctors about lung screening. And I also just would add that um, if you have a concern um, and if for whatever reason your doctor is dismissive of it, but it's a big concern, I would say just keep pushing um, to, to get this evaluated. Sometimes, you know, it's not clear exactly if lung cancer is inherited or not, 
but then sometimes you see it's rampant in families. So, and, and so there, you know, somebody may feel like it's rampant in my family and gives me a lot of anxiety to worry about whether this is something that will happen to me. So anyway, my, I think the point is just, uh, you know, to advocate for yourself or get somebody to help you advocate in these medical situations. Is there another question, Ben? Yes, there is. There's a few questions. Um, How about one more? <laughs> only one more. No, um, no, I mean, let's just go one at a time. Let's see what's sure. there. Yeah. Um, so an audience member asked, what a unique idea to use the arts and performance as a vehicle for supporting early detection research. How can the arts and medical pharmaceutical industries grow this partnership to drive a greater, even greater impact? Who was saying this before? Was it Bonnie or something about, you know, Hollywood? Um, I think I think that's just it. You know, stigma is one of those things um, that we need to overcome, not to be a shameless promoter, but one of our podcasts is called Stigma Schmigma. And the reason I called it Stigma Schmigma, I'd like someday for stigma to be like, what are you talking about? There's no stigma with lung cancer. Um, so there are people like, um, what's his name, Richie Sambora, his uh, of uh, Bon Jovi's group, his father died of lung cancer. I know Laura Linney's father died of lung cancer. There are other people touched by lung cancer in their families. And if we could, you know, lasso them, I, I would love to get more celebrities involved just for the sake of getting more eyes on the problem, get more attention. So thank you for thinking it's a great idea. I really appreciate that. And part that was part of my idea. It's, it's, I always think it's like uh, Mary Poppins, um, you know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. A lot of people don't wanna talk about lung cancer, they'll flee. <laughs> but most people love the performing arts. They love music, they love theater, they love all these kinds of things. So I figured if we could slip in a few words during a wonderful concert, um, you'd be surprised how effective it can be. And we've, we've had some people who have walked away from a concert and actually I've gotten emails saying I went to the doctor and actually they found a tumor and it was early and thank you. So um that to me that's that you know it's inspiring it just you know it's very important so, so from a you. from a logistical point of view uh what we're proving tonight and people have been proving it now for the last six or eight months is that virtual programming can work i'm just thinking about contacting these mega stars who uh maybe have a little more time on their hands these days uh there's something called cameo i don't know if anyone's familiar with it but you can have a, a star you know a sports athlete whatever but uh, I'm just thinking now's the time for us to strike. And if anybody in the audience has a link, a connection to somebody in the, in the athletic world or in entertainment, get in touch with Hildy, get in touch with Upstage, and we'll, we'll connect with them and try to get them on video, which is the, the easiest thing in the world. You don't have to send a limo. What's wrong with that? Absolutely. I know you have a jet. I know you have a jet. In fact, I have a jet. There. But <laughs> Perfect. We don't have to send a jet. I think I think now we're poised to <laughs> I want the jet. John I wants want the jet. jet. John wants to That's get it. I'll pick you up in Brazil. We'll get a waxing. Anyway. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I think now's the time to start. <laughs> um, is there another question for us then? Yes, there, yes, there is. 
<laughs> um, so there's another an attendee who asked, to the lung cancer survivors on the call, what is the most important thing you've learned through your battle with disease? Uh, that there's a lot of people out there we have to help that deserve it and have earned it. And um, it just inspires me more to do more. You know, each for me, each day is very precious. And gratitude is something we all deserve to have and appreciate, you know, to be grateful for what we do have. And I think this is about the kind of counterbalance to all the negativity that's been around us for the last several years. Um, and so no matter what your situation is, if you're healthy, you know, go out and live as best you can, especially during a pandemic, it's hard. So, I, you know, I started brushing up on my French during this time. Um, you know, there are things, I even got a jigsaw puzzle that I worked, it was a thousand piece puzzle and I got everything together until the last 10 pieces which were missing. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, you know, find things to do that bring you joy and if you can share that with another person, um, if you can um, try to walk in someone else's shoes, if, if people are ill, see if there's something you can do for them. Um, and it's about, I think it's full circle of what we were talking about. You know, it's a small world, you know, it's a cliche, but it is true. It's a very small world and we have small communities. We have small families. We have small countries. We're all connected. So, you know, live, live life to the max that you can. So that's, that's my, my takeaway with this. Ben, we have time for one more question at this point, if you yes. have one. So this is actually a great question because it, it, it brings us into our concert three weeks from now. Um, Mr. Mr. John Dempsey asked, are there any theories as to why younger, younger people are getting lung cancer? Bonnie Adario will answer this. It's a very different cancer. It's a very different lung cancer. Uh, you know, we, we discovered young lung cancer back in, uh, gosh, I think 2010. And we did, a, we did a study called Genomics of Young Lung. These young people have um, a lot of mutations. 82% of them diagnosed with lung cancer have a mutation. Um, they're very fit. They never smoke. They, they, they are the complete antithesis of what you might think of as a, um, a lung cancer uh, patient. There's, there's a lot being done about it now. I can, I can tell you a really quick little story about the very first lung young lung cancer patient we found. Um, I, I heard through the grapevine that um, there was a, a lady who had a daughter that went to Cal Berkeley. She was the coxswain of the, the uh, crew team and um, that she was diagnosed with lung cancer at um, age 20. And so I reached out to all the resources I have in the lung world, including international center tumor all over the world thinking that she must have a mutation. Uh, but at the time, there were only a few mutations that we knew of. I know now if we went and got her tissue, we would find she had something. But it's a very different cancer. Um, it's uh, uh, growing. About 20% of all lung cancer is young lung cancer. And these are people under 40 years of age. A very, many, many, many are in their 20s. 
uh, there was a big article in the newspaper the other day about a young girl who was diagnosed with uh, young lung cancer um, while she was pregnant. Um, it's a growing, growing lung cancer. And lung cancer itself is where we're just starting to, to see how mutated it really is. And that's a whole different conversation that would take us a lot longer to talk about tonight and here where we are. But um, lung cancer is leading the way in personalized medicine. It's really leading the way in precision medicine. Other people are following us now. The only thing left for us to do is get these um, patients living longer uh, and finding lung cancer early. There's so many good things happening, honestly. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to say um, that upstage lung cancer, this is our seventh year of supporting um, the Young Lung Genome Project. And this year, the Young Lung Epidemiology Study. And as Ben mentioned, we have another concert with young performers um, and conceptualized by um, some really um, eager and aggressive, wonderful people on our board. So um, I hope you guys will tune in um, for this very lively, very exciting project that will support uh, the Young Lung Epidemiology Study uh, from Alchemy and, and GoTo. So we're, we're proud uh, that that's going on. We have another podcast with Bonnie's husband, Tony Adario, uh, on Backstage and Upstage. It's on all the platforms for podcasts, but that one was wonderful. And it does have a wonderful conversation with an incredibly inspiring young woman who was diagnosed, um, I think, at 22. Hopefully, we leave you with this evening's conversation to say we're all connected. Do something, as, as Jordan would say, do something good. Try to, to reach out and do something that's good for someone else. Um, it will make you feel good, too. Um, and I just want to thank our panelists who are extraordinary people and who are dedicated and do such wonderful things with their lives. And uh, we wish you good health. You know, stay connected to Upstage Lung Cancer for our, our next concert and other wild and crazy things we may have in the pipeline. So thank you and good night. To find out how you can join Upstage Lung Cancer in raising awareness and funding to beat lung cancer, visit our website, upstagelungcancer.org. We invite you to subscribe and download our podcast available on all platforms. And we love reviews and ratings. After all, we're showbiz people. There's more entertainment and inspiration to come on the next podcast episode of Backstage and Upstage. <laughs>